Weddings. Let's talk about weddings. <laughs> I have a friend who, in my opinion, uh, went to extraordinary lengths in the organizing of her daughter's wedding. Over the course of the year, she developed intricate spreadsheets. <laughs> here, we, here we go. Itemizing all the contact information and the duties for each person in the bridal party, bride, groom, bridesmaids, groomsmen, flower girls, ring bearers, etc., and for each of the involved family members and friends, bride's mom, bride's dad, groom's mom, groom's dad, bride's siblings, groom's siblings, bride's best friend, groom's best friend, and so on. <laughs> Additionally, she had all the contact information and addresses for all the locations of the various events. Rehearsal dinners, hair and nail salons, church, community hall, photo locations. And she had all the contact information for all the vendors providing all the services, Floral companies, designers, decorators, photographers, clergy, musicians, caterers, DJs, etc. <laughs> the timeline of the events in the days and hours leading up to the ceremony, the ceremony itself, and the days following the ceremony were divided into 10-minute slots. <laughs> Everyone involved in the wedding was given a copy of said spreadsheet so that they would know exactly where they were supposed to be and exactly what they were supposed to be doing at any given moment. The purpose of the spreadsheet wasn't meant to be a slavish document that drained the life out of the party. And it wasn't. It was meant to be an organizational tool that allowed the celebrations to unfold with ease, which is what you want on a wedding day. And I have to say, this was one of the least stressful weddings I've ever been a part of. <laughs> but when we are not involved in the planning of the wedding, and we don't know all the details, weddings can appear a little chaotic. And such is the case with the wedding in our passage today. It's really difficult to figure out what that spreadsheet looks like we're missing some pretty vital information. To start with, no one knows the day or the hour of the wedding, not even the groom. For some reason, the groom's father is keeping the whole thing a really big secret. However, we are given a few clues in Matthew to help us piece together some of the details to know about this wedding. Uh, we do know who the groom is. Back in Matthew 9, Jesus identifies himself as the bridegroom. In that same passage, the disciples are identified as attendants of the bridegroom in some translations, uh, perhaps meaning kind of the equivalent of our modern groomsmen. I don't know. And then we get another view into this wedding in Matthew 22, the parable of the wedding banquet. And it becomes kind of obvious that the guest list for this wedding is rather problematic. The father of the groom, the king, has everything in place, and he sends out his servants to let the invited guests know that the wedding feast is about to begin. It's short notice, but he is the king after all. Some of the servants report back that many of the guests are too busy or too indifferent to bother attending this grand feast. Some servants never make it back to report to the king because the invited guests murder them. Seems like a pretty extreme response to a wedding invitation. 
Of course, the king is enraged. Nothing puts a bigger damper on what should be joyous wedding planning than having to send out an army to destroy murderers and burn a city to the ground. But the king perseveres. There will be a wedding, a spectacular feast to honor his esteemed son's marriage. The king sends out his servants again and invites whoever they can find out in the streets, both good and evil people, scripture says. Most of us pare down our guest lists, inviting the people we like the most, or at least the relatives we can tolerate. But this king invites anyone and everyone he can find. And the guests will definitely make for a colorful and interesting party. In our passage today, we meet the bridesmaids. From what I can gather about wedding traditions back in Jesus' time, the bridesmaids had a significant role to play. They were most likely the unmarried young women from the groom's father's household. They would either accompany the groom on his journey from his home to the bride's father's home, or they would wait at the bride's father's home where the rest of the wedding guests were gathering. And once the groom arrives and completes the remaining transactions, this is back in the day, (laughs) there were transactions with the bride's father, the bridesmaids would light their festive torches and escort the joyful processions, the whole wedding party, groom, bride, parents, relatives, friends, and all the guests from the bride's home back to the groom's father's home where the wedding feast was waiting. But where are our bridesmaids? They do not seem to be at the bride's father's home where we would expect to see a slow building of excitement when the guests are gathering. They do not seem to be at the groom's father's home where we would expect to see the general hubbub of a big feast being prepared. We can't tell if they're indoors, safe in someone's home, or camped down on the side of the road for the night on their way to the bride's or groom's home. Perhaps they are lost. Perhaps they need the groom to come and find them to get them to the right place at the right time. It seems that they are alone except for whoever saw the groom coming and woke them up. They were probably in a deep sleep at midnight, thinking that the groom wouldn't come this night and that the wedding would be delayed to the next day. A logical assumption. But the groom does come unexpectedly in the middle of the night, just when they're sleeping most soundly. They are startled awake by the shouting, quickly wipe the sleep out of their eyes and smooth their hair and rearrange the gowns and trim their lamps. Some of the lamps have already gone out or just have a flicker of light as their supply of oil runs dry. The five foolish bridesmaids who didn't bring extra oil asked the five wise bridesmaids to share theirs. Every time I read this passage, I'm astonished that the wise bridesmaids refuse their request. Having read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I'm expecting them to not only offer their oil, but their lamps as well, since Jesus taught to give a shirt and a coat when asked. 
Or I'm expecting the wise to go with the foolish to find oil together, to walk with them not just one mile, but two. And after reading about Jesus berating the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees for neglecting the weightier provisions of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness, I'm at least expecting some compassion or some mercy from the wise bridesmaids. Their refusal, see, to me, seems that their so-called wisdom appears to go against everything that Jesus has been teaching in Matthew so far. But it gets even worse. The wise bridesmaids give unwise advice to the foolish ones. Where are they supposed to go and get oil in the middle of the night? The shops are closed. Are they supposed to go knocking door to door at a nearby village until they find an oil merchant willing to get out of bed and sell them some oil? How can the foolish even see where they're going? Their lamps are out. They have no light to guide their steps. It would have been far safer for the foolish to stay with the wise and at least bask in the reflective light of lamps that still burn brightly. But they listened to the so-called wise bridesmaids, and were off on a fool's errand when the groom arrived. To top it all off, the admission at the end of the parable says, keep watch, you don't know when the groom is coming. But the wise bridesmaids did not keep watch. They fell asleep. Every time I read this passage, I am puzzled that the groom rewards these wise bridesmaids by taking to the wedding feast and locking the others out. So clearly, the groom sees something commendable in these bridesmaids that I have missed. So I dig a little deeper. What is it about them or their lamps or oil or light that finds favor with the groom? So I need a little context. So Matthew wrote his gospel specifically for the Jewish community, and he frames Jesus' stories with this intention. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus declares that he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, and he sends his disciples out on their first mission only to the villages of the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus says he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. He commands the crowds and his disciples to do what the Pharisees say because they've seated themselves in the chair of Moses, but he warns them not to follow their example because the Pharisees do not do what they say. So with that context, let's examine the bridesmaids a little more closely The two groups of bridesmaids have a lot in common. All are unwed virgins, having kept themselves pure. All have lamps, and all have fallen asleep. Perhaps their purity indicates that they have all kept the law of Moses. Perhaps their lamps represent their birthright, their inheritance of the law and the prophets that has been passed down to them from Isaac. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
but they've chosen different paths. Perhaps the foolish bridesmaids have been merely keeping the letter of the law or using the law to gain power and prestige for themselves at the expense of others. Perhaps the wise bridesmaids have understood the heart of the law, which is God's compassion, mercy, and justice. Perhaps they have learned that the law is a guide to loving God and loving their neighbors. And they have chosen to do good deeds as an outpouring of their faithfulness, which is light for others and brings glory to God. They do not share their oil with the foolish because they cannot. Their oil is the inner transformation of the spirit of the law, which must be cultivated. This oil is not a commodity that can be shared or stolen or bought or sold. Perhaps it does not matter that they fell asleep because the brilliance of their deeds speaks on their behalf. Perhaps this is what is commendable in the eyes of the groom. Unfortunately, most of the commentaries I read make a huge leap outside of Matthew's context and identify the bridesmaids as the church. Many believe that the groom is coming because he's looking for wise bridesmaids to wed. But grooms do not wed bridesmaids, unless we're watching an afternoon soap opera or Dr. Phil, where these kinds of things happen all the time. (laughs) If the bridesmaids are the church, this parable ends up being interpreted with anxiety-producing judgment that leaves us wondering if we've done enough good deeds to be one of the wise bridesmaids. And the book of Matthew becomes a largely works-based gospel. This assumption misses Matthew's point. Considering Matthew's focus on the Jewish community, and considering that this parable is only told in Matthew's gospel, I cannot help but wonder if this is actually about God's faithfulness to the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that the nation of Israel has a key role to play in the celebration at the end of the ages. The groom is sent out to find faithful bridesmaids, to find faithful Israel, to include them in a place of honor at the great wedding feast. Of course, there is always an overabundance of speculation when weddings are concerned. What will the bride be wearing? What colors will she choose? Who is in the bridal parley? What should should I wear? Who will be at my table at dinner? What will the food be like? But when the father, the wedding planner, is keeping significant details secret, the speculation and anticipation only increases. One of the big questions is, when will this wedding be? And it begs the question, how can I be ready when I don't know the day or the hour? We are not good at living in uncertainty. Much theological energy and ink has been spilled trying to narrow down the timeline of events trying to figure out that spreadsheet for the end of the ages so we can all be better prepared. 
But Jesus told us not to believe anyone who thinks they have it figured out. Only the Father knows. The even bigger question that arises from our story is, who's the bride? Matthew identifies the groom, the groomsman, the guest, the bridesmaid. But the bride is not identified in this gospel. It's very difficult to have a wedding without a bride. <laughs> but apparently, the wedding planner is keeping that a secret as well. The bride's identity will be a surprise for everyone. Isn't this the best part of the wedding? Waiting for the bride to be revealed, to make her grand entrance. The anticipation of this upcoming great wedding feast has been building for centuries. And even with all of our speculations, we won't know the answers to all of our questions until the event happens. So in the meantime, what do we do? We live day by day, knowing that our security rests not in the uncertainty of our questions or in the certainty of our speculations, but in our faithfulness to God and in God's faithfulness to us.